Welcome back, guys, to the Bannerman. This is episode three, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Doctor Vardy. Doctor Vardy, how you doing today? I'm great, buddy. How you doing, Gosh? I'm good, man. I'm good. And uh, how's the weather in San Diego? By the way, we're melting out here in LA. I forgot to ask it's, you that it's earlier. Pretty, it's pretty melty here. Thank God for the coastal breeze. In case anyone's wondering why I sound like I, I'm recording from underwater, it's because I'm. I tend to record this remotely. Otto's based out of LA. He just couldn't bear to leave the Kings. In fact, Never. you know he's within spitting distance of them. Uh, I'm down in San Diego most of the time, but the love is strong, and so we must record. Yeah, luckily uh, San Diego has all the channels you need to watch the Kings. So good for you on that one. I'm happy for you there. So so free agent frenzy has come and gone. It was quite a frenzy for a lot of teams, but it was not. For the Kings. Um, first of all, let's kind of cover. I'm, I'm sorry. Were were you not excited? <laughs> no. Were you not excited by the combined two and a half million dollars in contracts that we doled out? No, because all I heard about is we got cap space, we got flexibility, we got Michael Camilleri. We sure did. <laughs> Our scenarios last episode, we talked about Nick Bonino. So he actually got paid a lot more than I thought. So you know. That's my bad, guys. Uh, moving on from him, we, we both predicted very boldly, I might add, that the Kings were going to trade for Gabriel Landeskog. And guess what? We weren't even goddamn close. No such trade was made. You actually said Joe Thornton, which you probably got the warmest from all our predictions because uh, the Kings went after him pretty heavy from everything I read and heard. Apparently, apparently the Kings and everyone else in the NHL and so so much so that the sharks could only afford to keep him and had to had to let marlo go uh and he signed in uh in toronto oh um yeah i mean i guess there's a plan there i'm not sure it's all in it's all in with patrick marlo at the helm we, we need we need the veteran leadership the locker room presence of uh, patrick marlo what did he sign really for? take us over the top it was here. like what was this cap hit it was three Marlo's years, was six and a half million. Three years, eighteen point seven five, and I think the first year was eight, <laughs> eight and a half. Or something. What is going on, man? That's that's basically what free agency was this season, man. I mean, Thornton got eight million. Thornton got didn't paid he? too. Yeah, he got paid a lot. Um, Good riddance. I I do I I would have loved seeing Joe Thornton on the Kings. I would have welcomed him with open arms and his shaggy beard and all but for eight million dollars no thank you and i think everyone kind of knew in their heart of hearts that you know where was he gonna end up honestly and despite no. how much i heard that he was gonna go someplace else despite how much i heard that the kings were legitimate contenders i i think i always believed and i think a lot of people always believed that he was gonna end up back in san jose i just didn't think it was gonna be for that much money right right i think the the money is what really surprised people. And the funny thing was the whole the whole narrative of why the Kings were contenders was because they were offering multi-years versus the one-year San Jose was offering. And that was the big breaking point for Jumbo. You know, no, he needs to have more than one year. He signs for one year for an obscene amount of money, so I don't blame him there. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting situation because if it was all just going to come down to signing a one-year $8 million deer, deal... I don't know why it took so damn long. 
I know that it was kind of this back and forth of are they going to be able to keep both him and Marlowe? Um, and I'm, I'm kind of blanking which one happened first, but I'm pretty sure Thornton signed first. And Thornton then happened signed. first, yeah. Right. Uh, Thornton so happened, Thor- and then Marlowe took actually a few days to to weigh his options or whatever, and then he signed with Toronto. So it was Jumbo first, and I read a lot of stuff about how like Thornton's waiting for Marlowe so they could come together and like pick like the old days of Solani and Korea and, you know pick their destination but it wasn't even i mean it might have been discussed but clearly it wasn't a reality yeah i mean apparently we don't have the capability in this day and age to get everyone on a conference call together and and hammer it out because joe was sitting on his tractor (laughs) up in wherever when he signed his contract and god knows where marlo was when he signed his but i I mean marlo ultimately got what i thought they were both gonna get so i'm i'm just confused but whatever whatever let's talk about the kings this is a king's podcast right right? all right cool damn right it is so um the kings they signed michael camillary one year one million dollars very incentive laden contract there's a bunch of bonuses performance bonuses in there from what i saw so at least he'll be motivated to score i guess that if if there's a positive there uh i guess i could call this a low risk high reward the thing is it doesn't really generate the excitement you might want uh or make you think that this is going to change things for the better for the kings because to me it feels a lot like last season uh, Teddy Purcell comes to mind right away. The kind of signing, the kind of low risk, high reward. Really, if he doesn't perform, who cares? But I care. Vardy, do you care? I mean, I definitely care. I absolutely care because I, I kept feeling like there was this this sensation of change that was kind of sweeping the team. You get rid of your head coach. You get rid of your GM. You bring in uh, Rob Blake and Luke Robitaille to run the thing. And we're talking about changing the offensive system and and trying to inject a little more offense into the thing. And we knew going into free agency that your options weren't that great. And I I applaud the Kings for going after Joe Thornton the way they did. And I I don't blame them at all for not really going after anyone else. Because, again, we we talked about this last episode. Really, who else would you go for on that free agent pile? Right. But I, I, I was always hoping that maybe... The trade market was a little beyond what we were looking at, and that's that's obviously still with the caveat of what we talked about last week. That you know, some, with all the teams in the Pacific picking up all these top four defensemen now, all of a sudden, could the Kings even afford to trade anyone? And maybe that's what came to mind, and maybe that's what put a stop to things. But it it just kind of sucks if I'm stepping back and not looking at it from a 100% objective point of view, and I'm just looking at it from the standpoint of a fan who seen that offense is the issue and I'm looking at it as like I need something to get me pumped going into this season and that something ends up being Michael Camilleri it just doesn't do a whole lot for me and then and then we follow that up because I think the king sensed that we get like a letter from Luke highlighting what we've done in the offseason as though just kind of put a period on it saying Boy, they're going to be great when their injuries aren't there. <laughs> Did you guys see Gabrick? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Him? He's good, remember? Yeah, there's it's a. Like, I'm surprised uh, he didn't mention to go visit Gabrick's Instagram where he's like biking and like <laughs> smiling along the beach. And to me, there's two sides to this. So the one side is the logical side where you're like, okay, 
There weren't a lot of great options in free agency. The Kings didn't go and overspend on, you know, question marks, or they didn't go and really drop $8 million on Joe Thornton, what have you. That's the logical side. The other side is the fan side. And as fans, I don't care who you are, you love action. Give me action. Give me trades. Give me transactions. You know, that's, that's a big part of being a fan. Give me something exciting. I want to be excited. Give me a new face, a new player. We've never seen this guy before. Great, let's see what happens. We've seen this player before. We've seen him in his best days. And now we're getting him at the tail end of his career. You know, can he possibly score 20 goals alongside Kopitar? Yeah, he can. But I mean, it, to me, it's like reaching. We're reaching again. We're reaching like we did with Purcell. We're reaching like we did with uh, Devin Setaguchi. It's a reach to think that this player at 30... Vincent LeCavalier, who, by the way, was probably the best of that bunch that I just named off. Um, hopefully, Cam can do, can do better. Again, those two guys did fine. But again, they're reaches. You're looking to capture something that used to be there. Basically, you're, you're banking on their past and hoping that they could still do it. And that's been a big problem for the Kings for the last few years. And all the names we just mentioned, even Gabrick to a certain degree, we got that one real good run out of him. But again, you were like, at the time, he wasn't that prolific scorer that he had been in Minnesota. So to me, the last few years have all been these types of project kind of players where you're you're bringing them in and hoping that a new surrounding new teammates is going to rekindle something and with Camilleri yeah five six years ago you know this guy was was scoring 20 goals like it's nothing I get that uh 30 was wasn't even a problem for him but now you're he's coming off two seasons where he's barely broken double ditches it's 14 and 10 Last season, he had 10 goals in 61 games. He was, he's been injured a lot in his career. And last season, he was shooting at a 7% shooting percentage, which you could say, well, bad luck. You know, at least he's shooting, which he was. He shot, a, shot the puck 142 times. That's probably around To be line. completely fair to him, he was also on a bad team. Yeah, the Devils were not a good team, and, and they won't be for a little bit. But to me, again, it goes back, I'm a fan, you're a fan. I just need something to be excited about right now. And right now, right. from where I'm standing and looking, I don't see how things are going to be different. You could talk about your systems. You could talk about the coaching philosophy is going to change. Players welcoming change. You know, the mean coach is gone. Now these pro athletes in their 30s can finally, like, be themselves. It's it's starting to wear on me a little bit, Vardy. And uh, I don't mean to go negative on this, but... I'm not saying go do something desperate, but to me, there still has to be something that changes here with this roster. Yeah, I, and I agree with you, and I, I I look at it absolutely from that perspective as well because we we don't live in a bubble. The team does not live in a bubble. It's not just about can this team be better than it was last year because I don't care if it's necessarily just better than last year because every other team in my eyes, especially in the West and in our division, has gotten significantly better. And it's going to be even harder to make the playoffs. I mean, you look at, not that I'm advocating this type of an approach because the Kings aren't necessarily in that situation and who knows if it'll actually pan out, but you look at some of the moves that Dallas made, right? Yeah. They they shed contract by getting rid of Niemi, which is fine. They pick up Bishop, which we traded uh, him, uh, we traded them his rights and they signed him and Maybe he ends up going back to being that Vesna caliber goaltender. Maybe he just keeps kind of middling around and doesn't do all that great, but he's probably going to be better than the tandem that they had last year. Then they really make a big coup and they sign Radulov and they add Radulov to a roster that now includes Jamie Benn, 
Tyler Sedgen, Jason Spezza, and him, and they uh, and he's a significant upgrade over Hemsky, who was injured like he's been his entire career, and they let him go. Now, now this this is the Dallas Stars team that we're going to play against. They also bring in Mark Mathot, who they picked up from from Vegas. I mean, these are moves, man. These are these are the things you do when you're a team that has certain building blocks in place. Good players who you need to capitalize on to bring surrounding pieces that they need. Those are the types of moves you make. And you could say that the Kings weren't in the situation to do that because arguably they made those moves back when they were, you know, when they had the cup runs. But, you know, it doesn't it doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot to me. No, I think the diff- I think the word is aggressive versus passive. And to me, Dallas, what they did is they got aggressive. They saw, like you said, they have the pieces in Ben and Sagan and a couple other good pieces there. And they said, you know what? Given our players' ages and all this stuff, we got to get aggressive. And to me, the Kings, again, it's a fine line. Do you want to get over-aggressive and do something stupid? No, you don't want to do that. But at the same time, you have the core. It's there. You know, the core had a down year in general. But to me, you got to surround them with the right pieces so they could maybe perform better, maybe get to where they need to be. My initial take from everything I heard in the press conference to... Blake's opening remarks uh, were changing the way we played. To me, it was like, okay, this sounds like they're going to get aggressive. They're going to really get proactive in fixing the team and fixing the problems. But now, when I step back and look at everything that's happened, to me, it's like they're just saying the problem was the system and the problem was the coach and the problem was, you know, that their players weren't were either tuning the coach out or they weren't performing in that system anymore. And that's enough. You know, that'll be enough to really put us back in the playoffs because. The Kings need to make the playoffs. You cannot waste another year of this team with the with the group you have at the ages they're at, both financially on the ice. You could go all across the board. Now they have a new GM, a new coach. These guys can't miss the playoffs. That's the question. Now you you look at the roster, you're like, well, we'll be good if Kopitar does this, if Toffoli gets back to where he was, if Quick stays healthy, if Carter can repeat his season, if Pearson can repeat his season, if Muzzin and Martinez can not be a minus 20 each. You know, that's like six big ifs right there. You want me to throw a few more in? If Paula Du and Kevin Gravel can actually progress beyond what they did last season and not take a step back, which wouldn't be unexpected, especially in the case of Ledoux, if Adrian Kempe can actually come around and produce the way that we hope he can. Otherwise, you know, I don't know how much leash they're going to give him, how many seasons they're going to give him to show if he can actually succeed at this level. Um, I think one of the big reasons why we didn't go out and make a lot of noise in terms of trying to get trades and things like that is because the Kings actually believe that Kempe can, can be that first round talent that they drafted. And so rightly or wrongly there's a lot of hope and you know faith placed in his ability to actually produce and be a top six forward going forward maybe even as early as this season so i I think there's just there's so many variables man it's so many variables and you hate to go into a season like this where you're trying to turn things around before you all of a sudden get into two straight seasons of missing the playoffs winning one playoff game across the course of what would that make it four seasons if we miss the playoffs one more time? Yep. It's just you, you're just trying to pull out of the downward spiral, and I just don't know if they've done enough at this point to do that. And more importantly, I don't know if if I was a player in that locker room, I don't know if I'm seeing enough 
from my my higher ups, my front office, to make me feel confident that we're we're going to get this done. We're going to pull out of it. Well, sure, because you know? all the changes are off ice, literally. I mean, if you really break it down, you know, the the changes, the big sweeping changes this summer have all pretty much come off the ice. And on the ice, it's pretty much the same squad from last year, and it was an underachieving team. So why would anyone, you know, whether it be a player in that locker room or a fan buying a ticket to the game, think that it's going to be different i mean is again we're gonna they're gonna lean on well it's a new system new coach new philosophy but really how much different is it going to be that's another big question mark you know all the ifs we talked about if the system is so drastically different where the players you know suddenly respond in a way that no one expected and that's to me that's very far-fetched uh these players have been playing a certain style for a long time and it's been successful uh, for the most part. So, you know, I don't think you could undo those things, nor do, they, do I think they want to undo some of those things. So, again, it's like, what is going to be different? Well, well what's going to be different is now we have an offensive coordinator. We are, uh, we're officially becoming an NFL team. Um, <laughs> and we brought in Pierre Turgeon Sneaky to Pete. be... You know what was funny? Um, so, they did that? a conference call with Turgeon. And uh, someone asked him, you know, why is it harder to score now versus than when you played? And he said, right. and he said, well, today the puck has to go through more layers than just the goalie. It has to go through defending forwards, defending defensemen, and then the goalie. And I was like, man, you guys could have paid me and I would have told you that in an email real quick. <laughs> to me, that's nothing groundbreaking. <laughs> so Pierre Turgeon is essentially telling us that in the uh, 80s, no one played defense, and you, you could score 500 goals easy. I think he was, <laughs> I think he was saying to? that no one wanted to block shots in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. It was the goalie's job, basically. But yeah, Pierre Turgeon, assistant coach, I guess offensive coordinator. And it's funny because the first time I heard that, Robitaille, it seemed like he said it in a way of like, in like quotation marks. But then in his press release, he just flat out wrote the words offensive coordinator. And I was like, huh, okay. So we're inventing a position now for this guy. Uh, listen, Pierre Turgeon was a great player, a 500 goal scorer. Um, he's never coached from everything I gathered. This would be his first, at least professional coaching gig. So and I, I believe it's going to be more of an eye in the sky kind of a uh position he's not i don't think he's gonna be on the bench so it's something new hey i guess points for innovating on that end but we'll see i mean i'm skeptical to be honest with you nothing against pierre turgeon i'm skeptical of the whole offensive coordinator idea um you you know what it kind of reminds me of is how they brought in bernie nichols a few seasons ago just randomly he was traveling around with the team for like half a season and didn't really have an exact position or Sometimes you'd see him behind the bench or at games and stuff, and it was like, "What exactly is Bernie doing here?" Yeah, I you know, and it was just like, "Well, he's kind of hanging around, <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> telling the guys a couple things here and there." And so I, I don't know what they're they're hoping to do from this because hockey's not like, and again, if you, I, I realize that they're not trying to make it like football offensive coordinators, but it's not. There's very few situations in hockey where you can run a set play. I can understand if they brought him in to maybe contribute to the power play because that's at least something where you have a setup, you have a breakout, yeah, you have yeah. 
certain passing plays positionally you can do something and god knows the king's power play could use any type of life injected to it you know that anyone is willing to to give but i mean if you see if you stick pierre turge on the press box and you're having him just kind of look at everything and then coming down between periods and be like all right pierre what do you got what is he going to say Kyle Clifford, stop shooting into people's shin pads. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like these revelatory things. I don't know what he... Kopi, hey man, you're a big guy. Maybe drive the net every once in a while instead of going around it. I mean, you don't need to hire a guy like Pierre Turgeon to come and be some sort of offensive catalyst. Like, you can hire any NHL player. And so I don't, I don't really know what their vision is with him. Again, points for innovation, like you said, but... I don't know, man. That's if this is this is what we're looking at as as improvements. We're we're reaching quite a bit. Yeah, I don't have an issue with bringing someone who's an offensive coordinator, quote unquote. Like you mentioned, Bernie Nichols. He actually came in specifically to help on the power play. Uh, he worked with them right. and practiced on the power play, things like that. And hey, we won a Stanley Cup that year. But I mean, it's all about on the ice for me. It's all about the players. You can bring in. I don't know. You could coax scotty bowman into coming back and you know being your eye in the sky as well it doesn't matter really to me who it is it's about what's going to change on the ice he's not the head coach pierre turgeon is not the head coach the head coach is the guy who was with daryl sutter all these years who helped him implement a certain system and a certain structure and he's a defense first guy even though his team's offensive stats have been okay in philly and all that they've been up there but I'm concerned. It, I can't even call. Yeah, you know, I, I can't even use the term "cautious optimism" because that would imply that I'm optimistic, and maybe it's just because I'm I'm used to more losing than winning in the Kings' history to be optimistic. But I just don't see it. I don't see the framework here of a team that's that's going to be anything more than a bubble team, and then. It's just kind of probably fizzle out even if they do make the playoffs. I just don't see them as being a good team, quite frankly. Yeah, to be fair, there's, too many- there's still time. I mean, it's not like there's a trade freeze here. Yeah. And there's still a, yeah. a few free agents out there. I don't think anyone that's going to make an impact. But the Kings also signed a couple of other low-key players, I guess. Uh, Christian Follen, f- uh, free agent out right. of Minnesota, 26-year-old, right-handed defenseman. Uh, and actually a player that Dean Lombardi had targeted previously. We had heard that he was really trying to get him. I uh, can't remember if it was last season or the year before. But here was a player that Dean himself really wanted. Uh, he's more of a shutdown, uh, bottom pairing guy, uh, which is good. You know, the Kings uh, could use that. Could use a shutdown type player, a big physical player. I don't know how physical he is, but he certainly has the frame to be physical. I haven't seen a whole lot of him. He hasn't played that much, to be honest, in the NHL. Uh, and then... Also from Minnesota, Darcy Kemper as the potential backup goaltender. Now, uh, obviously, Jack Campbell has a shot at it too, so they're they're kind of selling it as a competition in camp. We'll see how that goes, but I was okay with those two as um, kind of peripheral signings. To me, Camilleri should have been a peripheral signing too, and that's I think where the issue starts is that he was he was the main acquisition by the team. Yeah, and I agree with you. I mean, I think it's I think it's always good to have competition in camp for some of those lower end defensive spots. Um, like you mentioned, Fullen's going to be one of them. Gravel, you know, is likely going to be competing for that sixth spot. Uh, Fantenberg, 
would be another one. Um, and so it's it's great, fine. Maybe one of those guys exceeds expectations. Kemper can't possibly be any any you know worse than Zatkoff was last year. So I'm I'm fine with that. No, and no, Budai, that obviously would, that would be a vast vastly challenging thing to do to actually be have worse numbers than Jet Jeff Zatkoff, who by the way is still under contract to the Kings. So that's an, I, I'm pretty sure he'll be in the AHL next year. But you never know; he might have a good camp, and now we'll have a real backup goalie controversy knowing the king's luck of course but um yeah i mean that's well, hopefully quick makes it past the first game this year that'd be nice yeah if he gets into period two i'm gonna be very excited <laughs> so it, that's what it is right now it's camillary Fullen, and kemper those are the guys we signed um notable free agents remaining yarmir yager jerome mcginla shane doan yuri hudler thomas vanek and andre markov um, I think the average age of those guys that you just mentioned is about 39, and that's not even so much with Jagger, uh bringing it up that much. Oh yeah, I think Hoodler at 34 is the Hoodler. young pup of that group. Spring chicken. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but of those names, is there anyone, and I think I know your answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway, is there anyone that generates any kind of excitement if the Kings were to go out and make, uh, uh, I don't know, 11th hour signing? Uh, excitement's such a relative term. I don't. I mean, <laughs> that's true because I'd be excited for Yager to be a king, because but that's Yager. a completely other reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It's not like it's not because I expect him to, you know, bolster our offense and be this like shot in the arm for the team. It's just because I want to see that hair flowing in the silver and black. You know, it's a, it's a completely an aesthetic thing. <laughs> it has nothing to do with hockey. Absolutely. I'd be, I'd be first in line just to buy a jersey. I don't care how terrible he would be, just to be able to say that this is legitimately a Yager Kings jersey and it applies. Also, you have to figure that his like social media posts would be fantastic if he was in LA. I mean, <laughs> the guy's already a legend when it comes to some of his posts, and half of them aren't even him. It's like chicks sleeping with him and putting up posts <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> Can you imagine that in LA? It'd be fantastic. You know, we all we said that the. We've mentioned that the Kings have had a swagger problem. So in the swagger department, you know, this 45-year-old really helped the team. At least I could say that much. Uh, but overall, yeah, man, I don't see anything exciting there either. Yuri Hoodler, two seasons ago, I believe, had a really good year with Calgary and then kind of regressed to the mean. You know, he, he went back to what his, I guess, expected numbers were. So... The fact that no one's touched these guys so far, you know, it should say something. There are teams who are being proactive, who are being aggressive, who have cap space, who have not signed these guys. Uh, I'm really surprised Yager is not in Vegas yet, by the way, because you talk about a team that needs, you know, PR and, and, and kind of faces that people recognize. I mean, that's a layup to me. Still might get done. But as of right now, yeah, those names, pretty big names. Um, most of them bigger names than of yesteryear remain unsigned. Yeah, and, and you're right. I think it still might happen. Um, Vegas, obviously, if you look at their roster, they still have a ton of guys available that they're probably going to trade before the season starts. Um, I don't know how much bearing that has in terms of who they plan on signing, but they just don't have a very clear idea yet as to who their roster is going to be and what they're going to need. Um, certainly they have a ton of inexperienced players. And so even if you brought in a guy like Yager just for locker room presence, I mean, why not? 
really. If you're that team, why not? If you're the Kings, obviously it's a, it's a different thing. Like you don't go after a guy like that because it just it, it implies so so much. You know, if you sign Yager and you're like, guess what, guys? We brought this guy on board. It's like, come on, man. Could, could this get any worse? Could this really get any worse? It's funny because it's true, Marty. And as excited as, as I would be to have a guy like Yager, even, I mean, Iginla coming back would be okay. It's it's not the step you want to take. It's not the message you want to send. That's why I remember when, uh, you know, the Thor- the Thornton rumor came out and then I believe the next day it was like, oh, the Kings are also chasing Justin Williams. I was like, oh, man, I love Justin Williams. I love what he did for the Kings. I love his time here. But at this point in time, where we're going, it to me, that felt like a step backwards. And again, his age, Thornton's age, all that stuff, it, it started to feel like, which direction are we really going here? Because we, we were talking about younger players getting younger, implementing younger talent, and, you know... Blake comes up and basically, with those rumors anyway, seemed like he was following the same formula as Lombardi did the past couple of seasons. I mean, yeah, I, I honestly think of Thornton in a slightly different category as that because I don't think that they were going to sign him with the intention right. of bringing him in and putting him in as like a number one center. I mean, the guy can still play. The guy is, is a huge asset on the power play. He'd be great second line center, even at times. Can you imagine like having him as a third line center? I mean, if you're talking about strength down the middle as the key to winning, that's a that's a great signing. And so I understand why they went after it. I also understand why they didn't sign him for eight million dollars, even for one season, because that makes complete sense not to do that. And it completely handcuffs your team and it forces you now to have to trade someone to even open up the cap room. Again, this is just kind of a product of what NHL free agency is these days, where you know you're having guys who are restricted free agents. Um, either signing a bridge deal but still staying within restricted free agency or signing these huge seven-year, eight-year deals that keep them on the same team until they're in their early 30s, sometimes later on. Because if you look at the average age of like all the UFAs this year, it was well above 30 years old, you know? And so this is just kind of like, this is this is what the game is these days, unless you're signing guys straight out of uh, the minors at 18, I mean, straight out of the draft at 18 years old, you're you're not going to have a, a very big UFA market of guys under the age of 30, which is why traditionally I think the Kings at least have had more success bringing in players from from the trade route than truly signing free agents. I think I think it's great to sign a free agent as a complementary piece to a team that's that's almost there, but when you're in a situation like the Kings are right now especially when the free agency classes are pretty barren. I, I really don't know what you do. I think, again, you have to look for trades, and maybe that means understanding that you have to sacrifice a season or two, but you don't want to do that either. So I, I really don't know, man. I really don't know. You're They're in a very, very difficult situation. Um, but I, I feel like you have to pick one way or the other. Right now they're just trying to tread the narrow and – and just maybe we'll be mediocre, maybe we won't be. But that's that's not how you kind of do well. You either decide that you're going to be really crappy for a couple seasons so you can dump off some contracts and get some high picks and hope that those guys can step right in, or you go for broke because you realize that this is your time to do it because in two to three seasons, your players who are still capable right now will not be capable, and then you're really going to be in trouble. 
Yeah, and it's it's it blows my mind that we're looking at potentially wasting. And I say that it's kind of harsh to say, but wasting now three or four years of the primes of Kopitar, Dowdy, Quick, Carter, and coming off cups, by the way. So it's not like we couldn't get there at all. We got there, and then we. Tank we just hard. fell off a cliff. It, it's just hard. This is the most frustrating thing to me is that, you know, teams have glory years. Teams have those years where fans look back and say, those were the days. For us, it was two calendar years. And then, poof, ninja dust, they're gone. And it happened so fast and the drop was so steep that had I known, I would have kind of enjoyed it a little more. You know what I mean? I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed those three seasons very much. But after that 14 Cup, we mentioned this in episode one, the feeling was like, this is going to last a long time. Five more years of this, you know, at least competing. And uh. I mean, because it just seemed like the team was built right. The, the team was built in a way and the pipeline was built in a way where you thought some of these guys would step in and we would get, you know, we'd move guys at the right time. And then it was just, we just signed these guys for ridiculous deals for way longer than we could afford to keep them. Um, and yet, again, if you want to compare it to Pittsburgh, who obviously has been, you know, the cream of the crop for the last two seasons, it was a long period of time between when they won their first cup with Crosby and Malkin and then when they won, you know, their second and their third one. But they were always relevant during those seasons. They were always relevant. They were always the potential to kind of get uh, there. I don't think they ever missed the playoffs. No, that's for sure. Did. I think they made the playoffs every season. Yeah. And another thing is when they won those, that when they won that first one, they were so young. Those two, right. you talk about your core, even flurry was relatively young at that time. Latang was relatively young for the Kings. They won those cups right in the sweet spot for those players. Prime, you know, best years, uh, late 20s, maybe even mid-20s in Kopitar's case. Carter was a little older, quick, same age as Kopitar. Now it's like you look at Pittsburgh and say, oh, look, they had a, they had a you know, six, seven-year gap. It's fine. It could happen. But no, because <laughs> the Kings, in a few seasons, their core pieces are going to be what you would call hockey old, you know, too old to really, really be those dominant, effective players that they used to be. So... You can't really use that Pittsburgh model and say, oh, look at the big gap between the... Yeah, they were kids the first time, and then they won it as, like, veteran players. For the Kings, they won it as uh, mid-career kind of guys, and now they're, for most of them, they're looking at the back end of their career. Yeah, and I think the Ducks are very similar to that. I mean, they won their cup when Getzlaff and Perry were... Were they rookies or first-year players or second-year players? I forget, but they were super young. I think they were second-year at the yeah. time, but... They weren't yeah. they weren't being counted on necessarily to carry the team. It was you know the Niedermeyer Pronger Solani era of things, um, and yet they're still struggling to get back there now. I mean Perry and Getzlaff are now on the tail ends of their careers, and who knows if they're if they'll get another cup before they before they have to retire. Yeah, they might not. I mean, I guess the good news for Ducks fans is they have one of the best pipelines in the NHL, and those man, they, you look at their prospect pool. I think it's been the best in the league for three seasons, and it was the best in the league a few years prior to that too. They they do a really good job drafting uh, players. They they really find some good gems. Their def their defensive drafting is just insane. The number of NHL defensemen they've churned out and will continue to churn out. So again, it's like 
the, for the Kings, it's that danger of being in that black hole area. The, wor the area that you and I are very familiar with, Vardy, being Kings fans as long as we have. Uh, you know, that range where you pick number 11 to 15, but you don't make the playoffs. Um, yeah, we don't want to go back there. Um, we certainly don't want to go back there. We, I don't think we want to go back to the place where we're picking in the lottery either. But given the options, um, that's the thing. Is it like, are, are the Kings looking at a rebuild soon? And that's a scary word to say right now because... The cups are pretty fresh still for me, but in a few years, are is the team going to have to look at actually rebuilding? Um, I I don't know, man. Rebuild is such a such a harsh word to use, um, because it would be so fast. It would be so fast to go from winning two cups and then you know five seasons later you're already in a rebuild. It it just seems like, but then again. There's so many signs that that's the direction it's headed, right? Like, you fire your coach, you fire the GM who led you there in the first place, you kind of crap out when it comes to trying to sign free agents, you're not really sure what you're going to do with your roster for about two seasons at this point, do you just go in there and hope for the best and reevaluate afterwards, and then what? You know, it's not like it becomes any easier to buy out Gabrick or trade Brown after those points. And so you're just kind of stuck in this in this pattern basically until 2019, 2020 when some of these older guy contracts come off your books. But then at that point you have to consider what you're going to do with Toffoli and Pearson. Um, I'm assuming they're going to resign Dowdy. Um, they're going to try. I'll tell they, you that right I mean, now. Because yeah. if they can't, if they can or if they trade them, um, yeah, you could start rebuilding the team in my opinion. I mean – what to me he is with his age as long as you have him you need to try to compete you need to try to do have the best team you can because he's that kind of player where he's young enough and he's so talented that if you have him automatically your team should have a shot at this you know should have the shot at it should have a shot at least at the playoffs and that's a lot to say about one player but He's that type of player, and right-handed defensemen are so hard to find, and true number one defensemen just, they don't exist. I mean, they do, but they're few and far in between. So, to me, everything, whatever happens with Dowdy signals where the Kings go in two seasons. And to me, they have two seasons to prove to, to Dowdy that, hey, we're, you know, we're a good team, we're, we have competent management, we're going for the Stanley Cup, because what else does he really care about at this point? What's stopping him in two years from signing with the Toronto Maple Leafs, who at that time will probably be on the cusp of winning a Stanley Cup? And this is hometown and all that stuff. So that's that's a lot to compete with. And the Kings, you know, they have to get aggressive. We talked about this again. They have to do something. And it's not just about Drew Doughty and keeping Drew Doughty. That's not the end goal uh, of a franchise. But still, you have this player. We've seen... The players that have come and gone from the Kings, and he's a special type of player. And same with Kopitar, same with Quip, Quick, all those guys. So, to me, they have really two more seasons to really show that they are not out of a cup window. I 100% agree. I mean, Kopitar and Quick—they're under contract until basically their, you know, their twilight years. Um, at that point, you know, who knows how they're going to play? Who knows if they're going to want to stay here or go somewhere else? That's that. At that point, it doesn't probably even matter all that much. But Dowdy is the linchpin. You know, you if you lose Dowdy, 
which again I think is unlikely to happen. I think the Kings are going to give him absolutely every ounce of cash that he could possibly want. And in my heart of hearts, I sincerely hope that he'd want to be here forever. But man, I, I, I can imagine a guy in his position who's won Olympic gold, who's won two cups at a younger age. And now he's going through these few seasons of losing. And you kind of go through that moment of reevaluating, okay, what, what do I want for the rest of my career? Right? Cause the next contract I sign is probably going to be the last contract I sign. And likely with a guy of his talents, unless he's demanding a trade or something like that, it's going to be the last team that he plays for. Man, the, the temptation to go to Toronto and, and Toronto will be that kind of a team where you might just be one Drew Doughty away from winning a cup. You know what I mean? Like, Not just that. If if he goes there and they win, he will be he's a, he's, a legend absolutely. there. Like, he will be a god there. Because that, you know, that city's been waiting for a cup for, I can't even count, since 1967 was their last one. So there's a whole generation of fans who have never seen that and have never really seen real success. So you want, like, he will, he will be carried around downtown Toronto. I don't think he'll ever have to buy a meal or a drink again there. And that's tempting. That's tempting for any human being. You know, to get that kind of treatment, to be that loved, even though, you know, in his recent interviews, he did a tour of Toronto. He said, I don't know if I could deal with all that attention. Uh, but to me, there's a side when I see him play, Come when on, I see man. him chirp. <laughs> yeah, I think there's, what are we, what are there's we a part of him here? that would absolutely love every second are of you... that adoration, of that adulation. He's He's totally that guy. So... It's it's tempting and it's dangerous. It's scary for the Kings. Yeah, I I I don't buy the humble card from from Dowdy one bit, man. He's he would absolutely excel in that type of an atmosphere. He's he's the type of guy who puts so much pressure on himself that if he was in a situation like in Toronto where the press is just you know willing to crucify you for the stupidest thing. I don't see him as being the type of guy who's going to collapse under that. I see that as, as being the type of guy that that'll light a fire in his ass. And man, that's what I'm saying. And like, as an athlete, you know, and you and I play and obviously not on that scale, but you show up every day to play because you want to win. You want to win and you want to win in scenarios that make the last time that you won seem you know, paltry in comparison. Like you want every win to be bigger than the one before. You want to be able to kind of build in your own head what what your own legacy is at any level that you play. Exactly. At. And legacy is a good word and it matters to athletes because they're in a special position where what they do is being archived pretty much forever and, and their stories and their legends will be told way after they're gone so he's in a situation where i'm sure he cares about that i'm sure every athlete wonders like oh how am i going to be remembered you know what am i going to be remembered as money's important but i don't i think for especially canadians and i don't mean to make this a canada usa or russia whatever thing but i think there's a special kind of attachment to their legacy and how they're going to be remembered in the game you know the hall of fame's there and all that history is there so yeah i i, I agree i think as much as he'll say what he said, you know, to be politically correct or whatever, I think deep down inside he would love to have his statue 
Oh yeah, somewhere in Toronto. I mean, even <laughs> so. even beyond that, man, I I think we genuinely want the Leafs to win a cup. Like, if even let's say he doesn't go to the Leafs, and he's sitting at home watching the playoffs, he's rooting for them. There's no way he's not. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's your hometown team. How can you not? How can you yeah. not? I mean, he wears Blue Jays hats every every freaking interview he does. He's he's rocking a Blue Jays hat. So don't tell me that there isn't a part of him that would just jump at the opportunity to go there and be the guy and, you know, help him win a cup, especially because Toronto has every piece in play right now to make that happen in the next four to five seasons. No question. Yep. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, that pretty much does it for the <sighs> for the Kings aspect of this in terms of the current team. But we did want to throw something new at you guys. We're, we've been – talking about having some new segments some new additions to the show and we landed on one and it's called banner moments and what you see that what we is, did is that there you see it because because we're the do you get it guys we're, we're the bannermen right we like banners right and and, and there's like banner play. moments it's, there's moments worthy of a banner right because there's a banner like the physical banner and then there's the banner like the adjective right. banner you get yeah. it. I, I get it. Yeah. Sure they do. Yeah, sure they, we they got smart it. audience. They get it. <laughs> cool. So what we're going to do is basically we're going to reach back into our memory banks and pull out, say, a name, a trade, a game, a season, or any real random event in King's history. And good or bad, by the way, we're not, you know, we're equal opportunity. And as long as it had an impact on the Kings, again, good or bad, or on the fans, we're going to talk about it. So this is this is it, guys. This is the first edition of Banner Moments. Remember, son. Remember. Now, now I should say, I should say before we start, that, that you're going to see a few more of these during the offseason, obviously, because there's a little less to talk about from one episode to the next, and that's, that's fine. Um, the thing that we're going to try and focus on, though, isn't just going to be like, remember the, how that happened? That was cool. All right, see you next week. No, we're going to dig. We're going to dig deep and we're going to give you layers like this glorious, glorious onion of hockey. Okay, that's good. Go with it. Okay, uh, onion was a good um, was a good word to use because some of the stuff we're going to talk about really stinks. Um, and we're going to start today with a trade. We're starting with a trade. Trades were... Uh, are pretty relevant right now. We're in the off season, so that's when that happens a lot. And the trade we're going to talk about. Ooh, this was a doozy, buddy. This was a doozy. The date was March eighth, two thousand four. In an attempt to make a final push for the playoffs, Vardy, the Kings acquired Anson Carter mm. for Jared Allen at the trade deadline. Shrewd move. Shrewd move, Dave Taylor, always looking to improve the team. Anson Carter, that season, played for three teams. The Rangers, the Capitals, and the Kings. So the Kings were his third team. When they picked him up, he had 15 goals, um, 27 points, nothing crazy. So obviously, Dumpster Dave, as he was known at the time <laughs> by fans, he went and he got Anson Carter. So here, here's Carter's stat line after the trade. 15 games played, zero goals, one assist, one point, zero penalty minutes. Mm. Yes. Instant impact. <laughs> but maybe hold on, but maybe he was a great locker room presence and it helped in the Kings win loss record, God. Is that is that how, how things worked out? 
No, Vardy. No, he <laughs> did not. Because in his 15 games with the Kings, um, the first four games, the Kings actually, when they acquired him, won three in a row. See? What did I tell you? So things were looking up. They lose one. They win another one. So they're four and one. Um, and that's the type of impact that you get with Anson Carter. So the Kings have 11 games left. Um, they're making a playoff push. They're still in the hunt. At the same time, their head coach, Andy Murray, is tied for the most wins by any coach in Kings history. So they have they have a few things to play for here. Their coach is about to break a franchise record. Um, they're close to the playoffs. They just got this player who's going to help their offense. So 11 games left. I mean, you know they're going to give a strong push. You know they're going to give it all they got, right? So what's their record, you think, in the last 11 games, Vardy? Because this was going to be such a momentous occasion for a legendary Kings coach, I'm going to uh, I'm going to put myself in the physical embodiment of Andy Murray right now, and I'm going to say, "This is my Andy Murray voice right now, froggy as hell." <laughs> uh, you know, we got Anson on the team, and uh, I think we went maybe uh, six and five for for the last last little while. Good guess, Andy. Good guess, but no. No. No, you went 0-11. Ah, shucks. 0-11, guys. The home stretch to the playoffs. The team goes 0-11. Andy Murray has to wait another season, a whole summer, to get his record. Or so he thought, Barney. Or so he thought. He actually had to wait an entire season where no one played because the NHL went into a lockout. So this poor man had to not only wait 11 <laughs> games to end the season to get the record. He didn't get it. Kings went 0-11. Then the NHL went into a lockout for a full calendar year, more. And he had to wait until 0506 <laughs> season man. to break that record, which he did. Good for him. He did. Uh... Well, at least Anson Carter sucked after that, right? I mean, he's pretty much done at that point. Did he? Oh, no, wait. He went to Vancouver afterwards where he played with the Sedins and he put up 55 points, including 33 goals in a full season that he played. Uh, it's so king. Isn't it funny that he had 33 goals and 22 assists? The numbers of Daniel uh, and Hendrick Sedin. Man, such a king's such a king's. This is the story. kind of hard-hitting things we give you guys. 33 and 22. Bitch, we're the first people who caught that. Uh, the hockey gods. They they certainly have a sense of humor, don't they? Just to go through that roster that failed miserably the last 11 games of the season, we're going to go with... Let's go alphabetically. It'll be fun. Derek Armstrong, Sean Avery, Scott Barney, Eric Belanger, Dustin Brown, Mike Camilleri, Danson Anson Carter... Roman Czechmonic. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, there See? There it is. <laughs> there it is. Do you remember Brad when I went Chartrand. and I got a goalie stick specifically so Czechmonic could sign it? I wouldn't let anyone else sign it. <laughs> yeah, good for you, buddy. Where is that now? Uh, it's kindling somewhere. Hopefully keeping someone warm. I hope so, too. Noah Clark. Oh, man. <laughs> California boy. Joe Corvo. Joe Corvo. Jeff Cowan. Nathan Dempsey. Alex Frolov. Tim Gleason, Dennis Grebishkov, Cristobal Ua, Steve Kelly, Trent Klatt, Ian LaPerriere, Aaron Miller, 
Yaroslav Modri, Matty Nordstrom, Ziggy Palfi, bless your heart. Essa Pierness, Luke Robitaille, Pavel Rosa still kicking around. <laughs> which is odd. He should... <laughs> okay. <laughs> John Sim, <laughs> Jared Smithson, Martin Straka, Martin Sturbeck, Joseph Stumpel, Lubomir Vizhnovsky, and Thomas Zizhka. Oh, man. How many of those guys were supposed to be the future? Do you remember? How many of those guys were supposed to be the ones that, you know, just broke out, took us over the Certainly top? Certainly was Grabishkov was one of them. Um, Camilleri was 21. Frolov was 21. So those Brown. two. Yeah. Brown was young. Um, Luke Robitaille led the team in scoring with 51 points. Yeah. That, I, I think that pretty much tells you everything you need to know about that team. Ziggy was hurt most of the year. He had 41 points in 35 games. It would prove to be his last season with the Kings, which was sad. But there it is, guys. The Anson Carter trade. Big number 11, representing an 11-game losing streak. Luckily, number 11 will be worn by no one else ever again because it was taken over by a pretty damn good player a few years later. And it kind of erased some of the memories I had of Anson Carter till we had to create this godforsaken segment, Vardy. It was your idea. That was the very first banner moments, guys. We're going to be throwing some more stuff at you like that. Uh, definitely we take a sick pleasure out of looking at some failed trades in King's history and some tongue-in-cheek moments where we could laugh at now. That we have two actual banners, two actual banner moments. But that's okay. So I, that's okay. I mean, that that's what defines, I think, in my mind, being a Kings fan, being a sports fan, is you got to be able to look back at the bad moments and laugh at them, and really just appreciate them because then the good moments are just that much better. Well said, my friend. Well said. And I say that now because I feel like there's a lot of bad moments coming. You shut your mouth. Thank you for joining us again, guys. This was episode three. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the Bannerman Pod. Visit our website, bannermanpodcast.com. Shoot us tweets, and whatever you want. Anything you want. We always respond. We love interacting. And this is purely a labor of love, guys. Uh, there's no other reason we're doing this other than we love to do it. We enjoy doing it. So please subscribe to us on iTunes. Listen to us on SoundCloud. Subscribe anywhere you can, all your podcatchers. And leave us a review, too. Subscriptions and reviews are things that are going to make us better, better and make Honestly. this show continue and keep growing. So we'd really appreciate it if you guys took a second and did that for us. And we really want to keep doing this, guys. So it's in your hands. No pressure. So until next time, we're the Bannerman. I'm Vardy. He's Cotto. Thank you very much. much.